You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. I'm Georgia Hart, Principal Consultant at Middleton Executive and your guest host. I'm passionate about all things product and tech and can't wait to explore some amazing topics with Australia's top product leaders. Joining me today is Scott Middleton. Scott is the CEO and founder of Terum, Australia's leading tech product development firm. Terum has featured on the Financial Review's Fast 100 for for the two years running, Scott has been involved in the launch and growth of over 61 successful products. Today, Scott and I are going to be discussing how product folk can conduct meaningful customer interviews. So welcome to the Product Edge, Scott. Hey, Georgia. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, Before we jump into things, can you tell us a bit about yourself and Terum? Yeah, well, I think I'd I'd love to make one slight correction to your intro. You said 61 successful uh, launch products. Uh, There's a fair few that haven't been like so successful i think that's one of the best parts of what i like about my experience you know it's been the products that haven't worked or have been around the middle that you learn the most from sometimes the successful ones are the easiest ones to do so i i make that correction because i think it's really important you know when when things don't work out i've learned so much more yeah no that's absolutely true we all learn from our mistakes right (laughs) yep yep so design thinking and user-centered design principles highlight the importance of understanding the needs, wants, and desires of our customers. Yet it surprises me how often product folk don't really speak to their customers. When they do, many will turn to quantitative data. However, quantitative data only tells half the story. Um, Scott, you argue that um, unstructured qualitative research, often customer interviews, helps product folk understand why, uh, understand the why behind the what of the data. Why do you think customer interviews are so important? Yes, I think, look, like any information you can get on, on your customers is, is just, it, it's essential and it's so good. Y- yes, you can use data. You can, um, interviews are one form. So I guess I'm a big advocate for anything you can do to better understand your, your customer. You know, if you look at, there's some research done, uh, some research done a, a year or two back and it looked at, What's the number one source of, of great ideas uh, in the product, great features, new strategic direction? And it, and it all was from direct customer feed. Like the number one reason was direct customer feedback. Yet as, as product people, my, myself included, I'm guilty of it. We don't prioritize our time there and we don't spend the time there, even though that's where the results come from. And it's quite substantial looking at the survey results and we can probably send a link out or something but the the the, the survey results from this report it was it was by a mile the best place was direct customer feedback drove the best like the best insights the best features for the product so i think customer interviews yeah as to your thing around data kind of gives you a bit of what's going on and i think a lot of teams can do more to get more data 
but the, the interview gives you much more context around what's what's happening and whether it's a, a new feature that you're looking at doing or you're trying to understand what's going on with an existing feature, just talking to people provides so much information about what's happening. It's it's such an essential step and we, we all don't do enough of it. Why do you think then that product folk or businesses shy away from customer feedback? Oh, there's so so many reasons. <laughs> so So one of my favourite ones is um when someone will say we don't need to do that we understand our customers and my immediate reaction to that now i used to be a bit like oh okay i'm I'm not so sure i don't want to push them a bit now i push i say hey look can i challenge you on that one because honestly the best teams i've worked with never make that statement they never say we understand our customers because they know that you can never properly understand what's what's going on and I think so that that's one people just think oh we understand them we've worked with them for so long um oh we've already got a bunch of customers and it's it's it harder the more successful the business becomes the more people think they understand um I think the other one is uh people are nervous around around talking to their customers oh we don't want to upset them oh you know we're not so sure how they're going there's so many reasons you can be nervous and not wanting to chat to them. Sometimes it's the individuals are nervous. Sometimes it's the business or someone else in the organization. So for instance, the sales team is usually a a great, no, no, I don't want you talking to my customer. I don't don't want you upsetting them right now. Or it might be, um, you know, it might be the project manager. It's not a good point in a project to talk to that person. What what I guess I've seen time and time again, because I've been on both sides of this fence, (laughs) telling teams, no, I don't want you talking to our customers right now. And I've also been on the other side saying, we've got to talk to them. <laughs> um, I think I guess what I've learned is, and it can be quite uncomfortable as a as a executive or, or as a product manager to kind of push past this and say, no, we need to be in the discipline of regularly speaking to them because it's kind of it's that discipline where you start removing the friction um, and removing the barriers. So I think there's there's so many different reasons why people don't do it, but there's just, you know, one compelling reason as to why, which trumps all the reasons why not to. Um, And what I've found is more often than not, when you pick up the phone, whether it's an angry customer or or a happy customer or someone in the middle, they love having a chat. They're like, oh, you want my opinion on stuff? I love giving my, everyone loves giving their opinion. You know, if you do it in the right way, you can make them feel really good. And I think I've seen... Uh, relationships flipped as a result of this, but really you, you've got to be out talking to people on a on a weekly ca- weekly monthly cadence. You've got to have a regular cadence of of talking to people. Yeah, and I guess it's one of those things of just getting comfortable talking to people and not being afraid to approach people. Um, it's something that even in recruitment, we have to kind of get past that hurdle. I remember the first part of my career was a little bit scary doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when when do you think product folk should use customer interviews? Is there a specific point or is it all the time? It's it's There's, there's a bunch of situations. So one... <sighs> Big one is just all the time. You should be using it all the time, but there are some different, I guess, styles of interview that you can go for. And there's some different purposes, just really broadly speaking, that you might want to go for. One one purpose is uh, just understanding the customer's context. I think too often we go into things with, with the solution in mind or our particular 
um, product in mind. So we go in and we we just want to talk to them about, um, let's say we're, we're talking to someone about an investing product or a wealth, a wealth creation product. And we go in and we've got a particular part of that. Maybe we're in super or maybe we're in um, stock trading. And all we do is go in and talk to them and say, what, what, how do you trade stocks? Or, you know, how do you manage your super? But we miss the broader context and ask the person, what's going on in your life? Um, what are you up to? Because it's the broader question and the context that often impacts how our products are used. So someone, you know, if you go in and you say, how do you manage your super? Someone's going to tell you, well, um, you know, I've got this fund and I do X, Y, Z. But if you go in and you say, hey, um, how do you think about your long-term wealth? You're going to get a very different set of answers. Someone might not even mention super, which gives you a bit of where your product kind of sits in the chain of priorities. Um, so I think back to what I'm saying, one category is just interviews are such a good way to understand context that you cannot get from reading demographic data or um, market research, that kind of thing. So just understanding the context of what's going on in someone's life. So you want a bit of a stream of interviews that's stepping out of your product and just understanding that. The, the other kind of one is much more, um, let's call it like tactical or focused on a feature where you've got a feature in mind, you've already kind of validated the problem area, understood, researched the problem area, and you've really got a very specific solution in mind this is at the other extreme. So you've got this uh, specific solution in mind and you're testing that solution out to see how it's going to, to go. It might be a solution. It might be pricing that you're exploring with someone. Um, it might be more than just a feature. It might be a whole new product you're exploring, but you've got a bit more of a specific goal. And there's some different ones with, you know, if, if, if the product doesn't exist and you're interviewing people that aren't customers versus if the product does exist and you're interviewing customers, there's some different styles and approaches you'll take to to your interview yeah amazing so on that then how many customers do you think should be interviewed are there benchmarks any guidelines <laughs> yeah it's it, it you know it, it varies um part of it's like how many can you interview reasonably and practically uh and that almost becomes more your measure than you know i i definitely get into some very much intellectual debates around Oh, but is it statistically significant? And I think if you've got the luxury of doing statistically significant interviews, great. But most teams that I, I, I've seen, in fact, almost I'd say 80 to 90% of them don't, don't have that luxury. So it's a bit of an academic conversation to say, have we had statistically significant number of interviews? More, more realistically, I think um, getting some number like above 10 gives you a good sense but it depends on the product. So if you're doing B2B um, and you've got only a small handful of customers that really you're going to end up with, then you, know, you can only really do five to 10 interviews. Um, but if you are uh, got a consumer product that possibly has thousands, millions of customers, um, then you, that's where you're going to go. You really want to do more interviews, but smaller possibly smaller interviews as you scale up. So start with longer interviews to begin with, but then get shorter and shorter so you can cover off more, more people. Yeah, nice. And how can we prepare and run customer interviews effectively? Uh, well, uh, there's some good links I can send that, that uh, we've put together on how to prepare for them and run just with tips, steps, 
guides and everything like that. But if I if I just to list them, it would be number one, work out what your goal is. We I was speaking a little bit before around what a a some of the goals look like. So whether it's you've got a new product, whether you're trying to understand context, whether you're trying to um, debug a problem in your product, maybe your funnel is not working so well and people are dropping off, or maybe you've just got a new feature that you want to try out with some really friendly customers. You just want to think about the goal and the context. What do you want to get out of it? What kind of progress do you want to make? What assumptions do you want to validate? So think about the goal. And then from that, think about uh, where what your plan is going to be. So the planning is pretty important and that's where you want to work out how many customers can I interview realistically and practically? What is the ideal statistical, if you want to get into it, like when is it a representative sample? And that's probably not, most teams don't get to that point, but just thinking through what you're going to do, planning it out, how are you going to, planning out how you're going to recruit customers? Is it going to come from your existing base? Is it going to come from um, a new set? Are you going to buy that access to that set? Are you going to use gift cards? How are you going to make these interviews happen? And then, you know, the next one is once you've got all that figured out, write up your your interview questions and your interview plan. So how are you going to run the interview? And this is really important getting this right because the questions are essential to running a good interview and then taking those questions and you have to be pretty disciplined about reusing the same questions with each interview so that you can do a comparison across your your interviews after that you know run your interviews take the results ideally you're you're recording it if you can't record it you're taking notes but you want to collate that all and produce um we'll often produce a bit of a summary insights paper as well as a summary of each of the interviews pulling out key insights from each of the interviews that were done so you want to kind of produce that because importantly you don't want the insights that you've gained to be left in a cupboard somewhere. You want them to be taken up by the organization. And there's some tools that can help with that. There's a, you can just use a PowerPoint. You don't need something fancy. There's a mix of things you can do, but surfacing those insights is the next key piece to help the team. And most of us work in teams. You've got to help the team understand your engineers, your managers, your executives, the sales team, other people in the organization have got to understand the insights that you're getting. Otherwise, it's not it's not an activity that's worth doing. Um, so pulling all that together is the last step. And then after that, take some action on it. Yeah, so that kind of touches on my next point, actually, of what do we do with the information after it's gathered? So obviously, yeah, putting it into into an insights paper is one way. Are there other ways that people can prevent present that data or the information once it's gathered. Yeah, there's tool, there's tools available. I don't want to list them all on the on the podcast because I'm sure I'll forget one and they might get angry. <laughs> so I'll just uh, there's a couple of tools available. There's two great Aussie companies, Great Question and, and Dovetail, are two that are worth thinking about where you can capture and share the insights. But honestly, like a Google Doc is or or a PowerPoint, even just an email just something to share it. I don't, I, I see teams get caught up on tooling and just get it out there. Save it somewhere is the, is the main, the main bit. Don't, don't stress too much about it to start with anyway. And you also pointed out that getting the right questions is really important. Yeah. How, how do you get, 
I guess, how do you choose the right interview questions for the right interview? Because there must be different varieties of interviews and different practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's almost uh, each each style interview and the questions you can ask are almost a, a whole podcast in themselves <laughs> each. So I think, look, broadly, the kind of questions you want to go for, uh, start open-ended. So what, how, why? never do closed questions. So a closed question is one that someone can answer yes or no to. You know, if I say, what type of questions would you ask? Or just as you said, how how, how do you do something? Then I can provide an open-ended answer. But if you just said, do you use questions in your interviews? Then I could say yes or no, but you've gained nothing really from that. So start with most things you want to start open-ended and then get a bit bit more narrow so maybe then get down to the yes or no um another really important one that people miss that that comes up again and again is they will ask someone's opinion on something and you never want to be asking opinions you want to really be asking behavior that they have done in the past and one way you can do this is asking to tell you a story about a time that something happened so i think the the way to think about this is if, if I say to you, let, let's just go back to that wealth management example and I kind of say, um, would you use super? A, I've asked a closed, would you use a, a digital super product? And, you, and A, I've asked a closed question. So you would say yes or no. I don't really gain much from that unless you're quite forthcoming. The other one is, is um, what I've also done is asked your opinion on something. And what studies have shown time and time again is that we as people actually our opinions don't match our behavior in a lot of situations so what you want to be doing is asking more tell me about a time that you thought about your super and so you'll start opening up with like well actually i don't really think about my super or you might say hey yeah no i was thinking about it the other day because i started getting a bit concerned about my my um my how much I had there and I tried to check it and I couldn't log in and I can say okay and how often do you try and log in I'm using another closed question and so all of a sudden I start piecing together your behavior in the past as in what you've actually done versus what you think you might do and that's much more representative and much more useful in interviews and I would say that that's like if you take anything away the core thing is focus on understanding how people have behaved in the past and not how they think they will behave in the future. And like, look, another another kind of example that I love for this one is um, when Nokia was looking at uh, what they were going to do with their, their phones, they went out and conducted a survey that said, would you like a bigger or smaller phone? Um, they, they asked a whole bunch of questions around this and people came back and kind of were like, yeah, you know, I want a smaller phone and uh, I want... I want to have like, uh, I don't want a touch screen. And Apple, on the other hand, didn't ask about the future, came out and released a phone that was a touch screen. It was bigger. Everyone in this survey Nokia did said everyone wanted smaller phones. Apple released a huge brick of a phone, if you remember the first phone. But people took to it and they paid a premium for it above and beyond what everyone was saying in the survey they wanted. And it's just a really contrasting example between what people say they want versus what their actual behavior is. Another example, just to kind of 
this is a really important point in interviews. Another example is if you go and ask people, do you care about privacy? Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I really care about privacy. But then if you look at how, how much time they spend on Facebook, it, it, their behavior tells you the complete opposite of what they say is important to them. So I think it's just really important to look at their actual behavior and understand actual behavior, not what they think their behavior might be or an opinion about the future. And that, that's the fundamental thing I see get kind of going wrong in, in customer interviews, especially people get excited and they'll ask at the end or they'll get a bit excited and say, hey, do you think you'd use our product? And of course, everyone's like, yeah, I might, I might use it. Um, whereas <laughs> if you looked at their behavior, they might be like really late adopters of technology and never sign up to any new things ever. Uh, so you just got to, it's such a crucial question. It's so interesting that I wouldn't even cross my mind to ask for people, for what people have done in the past as opposed to what they want in the future. Because our opinions change on that constantly. We're so influenced. There's so much information out there. I imagine there's a lot of people that may not know exactly what they want, but you know, might push towards something that actually they don't necessarily need. So, I, yeah, love that. It was so it's, insightful. And it, look, all the psychology research that's been done around behavioral economics all says all of us don't know what we want is basically <laughs> the result. And anyone that's like, no, no, I am, I definitely, my opinions are right, is just completely off base <laughs> of all the research that's been done. And so we, if we ignore that, we ignore it at our peril as, as product people trying to understand what a customer wants. On that then, how do you avoid letting your personal biases step into the process? Oh, I, d I don't know if you can. <laughs> I, I love it. I think being aware of your own biases, but ultimately, ultimately, Kai, I think it's one of the really hard things is, is too often we might summarise interviews uh, that, you know, I, I've seen people going completely opposite directions off exactly the same interview information. So I think it's it's not possible. It's kind of just being aware of them and how they're influencing is the best that we can we can do in that. Yeah, and I think that's always something that's really difficult. And I was as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, how would I ask questions that aren't what I want to hear or that are getting the answers that I want to hear? Because I think it'd be easy to get into that trap. Um, so I guess just having more opinions and check getting people to check the questions before you're going into these interviews is probably one way of making yeah. sure you're getting those right questions. Um, we talked about the tooling to um, produce the insights and, and information. Are there any tools that you specifically use for interviewing? Yeah, so uh, great question, Dovetail, uh, Google Meet, Zoom, uh, probably the standard ones, taking some notes. The, there's some good AI products out there now that will like transcribe. If you give it a recording, it'll transcribe the notes for you that you can use and run over your recordings or dial into a meeting. There's a, there's a couple of those. They're probably the key categories that, that come to mind. I, I, I think we can get some links together to go along with the, with the podcasts on socials. 
yeah, we'll definitely include those in uh, in the information. Um, one thing I'd love to know is, ha- has interviewing changed since lockdown and everyone being on more re- working on a remote basis? Have do you find it easier interviewing in person, or has it not made too much of a difference? No, so if anything, it's been made a bit easier. People are much more kind of available to to do it and more comfortable taking a video call. So it's almost got more more efficient and more effective for both. But you know, the people being interviewed and the people running the interviews. And now you can go a bit broader rather than, you know, trying to get a slot in someone's calendar, turn up, um, possibly have to do coffee. That That's mainly on the business side. I think on the consumer side, it, it has become ha- harder because what we used to be able to do is go and stand on the corner in the CBD or wherever you think your main users are and, and either observe. So, We've done things where it's not even an interview. We're observing behavior in a retail setting. And the, I think that's probably where it's changed. It's harder to access a lot of consumers. So what's one of the biggest obstacles that you've had to overcome in your career? Well, in my career, that's a, that's a, really, uh, a really interesting question. Biggest obstacle. Do you have one that's like the biggest memory that was like yes I did it <laughs> yeah yeah there, there's a there's a no I, I'm not not so sure maybe I think about obstacle this is an interesting question it's not like there haven't been been obstacles or challenges there's almost obstacles and challenges on a on a daily daily basis right everyone's got things that they're they've got to overcome um I, I think there's been yeah, it's that. I, <laughs> this this one I throw it. Yeah, I think. Look, there's there's lots of obstacle. I'm I'm definitely in no way saying that I have no obstacles and life's just easy. Uh, there's there's loads of obstacles. Look, key kind of obstacle that I think everyone can resonate with at the moment is when you've uh, got COVID lockdowns and you're trying to homeschool kids and you you're trying to run um, a business or you, you you're trying to do your work really well. I think the the two of those together. I think the big kind of thing that everyone says to me is like, there's a great, great quote I've got yesterday from someone I was chatting to, which was, I've given up thinking that I'm managing and more just surviving has been their shift in frame. And I think it's a great thing for everyone to think about because I think for, everyone's going through the same thing. So I think just being aware that everyone's going through the same thing and not stressing too much about it. I think it's it's a big challenge for everyone, especially if you've got kids kids at home. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, we're at Middleton Executive. We're talking to lots of people regularly every day, and it's the one thing that people can't get over <laughs> is you know these continuous lockdowns and I guess the unknown of when are we going to come out of it. But it's great that there's you know the market's really busy and we're able to keep ourselves busy with work and. Keep I on think, and I think do, don't be don't be embarrassed by it is probably the because we're all going through it. I think it's a, it's a, it's okay. Is the we're all going through it? Be understanding of everyone because everyone's going through some, like some kind of challenge personally at the moment with with lockdowns and dealing with COVID and all that. So that's pro- probably the big obstacle is just working through that with with everyone. But again, it's we just got to work through it. It's not a it's not insurmountable. Hopefully a bit of an easier question, this one, but what's been your greatest achievement? Uh, uh, building Tarim to where it is. So, uh, you know, 60 
plus people. We do some great work on on products with lo- lots of great organizations in Australia. A lot of great people in the in the team. I love working with them every day. It's it's awesome. I love the kind of things that that we're working on. It, yeah, that that's definitely my my biggest achievement. I love it. Love it. Well, Scott, it's been great talking to you today and thank you for sharing your insights and all of your experiences with us. How can people stay connected with you? LinkedIn, Twitter. LinkedIn's probably, it depends on your, how you like to connect socially, <laughs> LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Yeah. And what's the last piece of advice that you would give to product managers? Oh, last piece of advice. N- never think that you understand your customer. If you say, if you find yourself saying, oh, no, I understand my customer and catch yourself. I, I do it on it. I do it regularly. Um, and the team calls me out on it. Oh, no, no. I understand how they're going to react. No, you've got to catch yourself and just be saying, I don't understand. And I can, I can never get enough understanding of, of my customer. I think that that's the biggest. If all you do is just spend time understanding your customers, you, you can't, can't go wrong. Everyone needs to get a post-it note, stick it on their screen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you again. You've been absolutely amazing. Um, thank you. No worries. Great to chat with you, Georgia. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Product Edge brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.